Hello everybody, um, this is Minor Khan from TJTX, and welcome to the first episode of Autism, a Comprehensive Analysis. So, uh, basically, over the summer, me and my sister, Samia Khan, who is a rising sophomore uh, pursuing neuroscience at Emory University, uh, we are doing research under the guidance of UT Austin biology professor Animal Hawk over autism spectrum disorder, the nuances of that, and everything like that. So over a 10-week period, uh, various topics surrounding autism spectrum disorder, which I'll be referring to as ASD going forward, such as molecular genetics, detection of ASD, and fact and fiction about the disorder, will be thoroughly researched in an effort to educate young adults on a disorder that many know about but don't understand. So around every week, I will be uh, kind of breaking down what Simon and I have found in our certain topic that we are researching for the week on this podcast. Uh, so th- for the first week, Samia and I looked into just basically an introduction of autism spectrum disorder, kind of a broad overview of what it is and trying to see it at, in a bird's eye point of view. So what me and Simon do is that we do some research and then we put it into a, a little research paper uh, just to show our findings to our professor. And so I'll kind of be going through the research paper, seeing what I found. Uh, hopefully Samia will be kind of showing what she found in another episode and then we can combine it. And so I kind of focus on ASD. Obviously, my sister focuses on Asperger's, so I'll go ahead and get into mine. So, autism spectrum disorder, which is ASD, obviously, is a developmental disorder that affects behavior and communication. Symptoms of ASD include social communication deficits, such as difficulty with communication, interaction, communication, social interaction, and poor understanding of social nuances, such as repetitive patterns of behavior and inconsistent eye contact. Uh, These traits are usually identified during early childhood in an individual, making this disorder a developmental disorder, as it affects the development of the person who has it. First identified by Austin psychiatrist Leo Kanner in 1943 as a contrast from childhood schizophrenia, uh, much of the pathogenesis, which means basically how the disease came into play, the factors that lead to the disease, is still unknown. Uh, in fact, the genetic etiology, which is basically kind of a synonym of pathogenesis, basically what are the factors leading to the disease. For uh, So this genetic etiology for at least 70% of all ASD cases is still unknown, uh, which means that 70% of the factors to certain cases are, are unknown. For the other 30%, if you're wondering, uh, 5, 5 to 7% of the cases come from single gene disorders, so basically it's a mutation in a single gene. And uh, de novo imbalances, which is basically a mutation in someone's sperm or egg cell in a, in a person when they're having a kid, that leads to uh, uh, autism in the kid for around 7 to 20% of cases. And metallic, meta- metabolic disorders account for less than 5% of cases. Okay, so uh, now I'll get into kind of uh, the broad global view of autism. So a telling indicator of the relative obscurity of ASD is the disparity in ASD rates per 1,000 children between developed and developing countries. Uh, In 2010, autism rates in the UK, US, Japan, and Scandinavian, which are the North European countries, ranged from around 30 to 60 children per 1,000 children in the population. In contrast, the average prevalence of ASD in Asian countries was reported to be 14.8 children per 1,000. So why is this? Uh, We saw that this difference represents a disparity among uh, both countries' attitudes toward ASD, such as the acceptance of autistic children and some cultural factors, as well as a lack of adequate healthcare in developing countries in Asia, for example, rather than any environmental or genetic differences that lead to less autistic Asian, all autistic children in a region like Asia. So it's not like there are just less autistic children in Asia. 
this uh, lesser number is due to other reasons, such as cultural factors and lack of healthcare. Uh, an example of a cultural factor leading to a less accurate screening of ASD in children can be found in India. So, a common ASD symptom that is taken into consideration when screened for the disorder in Western countries such as America and Canada uh, is an inability to, of the individual in question to make direct eye contact. So, when they're looking at a kid who may have ASD, if they notice that the kid cannot make direct eye contact, that is a, that's something they'll see and take into account if they diagnose the kid. However, in India, a child making eye contact with elders is seen as disrespect. So this means that kids just don't really do it in general, not just autistic kids, just any kid in general. This cultural nuance leads to a lack of eye contact, uh, causes a lack of eye contact to be a non-factor in Indian ASD screenings. So they see this as something normal, not something abnormal, so they don't even look at this for a symptom of ASD. Uh, this leads to a lesser number of diagnoses in ASD in India compared to a country like the United States, because... Uh, not showing eye contact in the United States is seen as something abnormal, so it could help discern if someone has autism. However, in India, this isn't even taken into consideration. And you can see this in the rates, because 1 in 100 children under 10 reported to have ASD in India, uh, compared to 1 in 54 children having ASD in the USA. So you can see that how that number increases in the USA, not because there are less autistic children in India, but because of inadequate cultural factors and inadequate healthcare screening factors. Although much still remains uh, to be analyzed regarding the focalization of the disorder, um, new data is presented every day regarding autism. Uh, this helps medical professionals discern fact from fiction more accurately. Uh, the most common etiology, again, etiology kind of means what's like the factors going into ASD. So the most common etiology of ASD is a mixture between genetics derived from the parents and certain environmental factors that the child experiences, the things that the child sees, not just genetically, but just like outside. So, additionally, rare genetic risk factors, uh, such as chromosomal abnormalities, which we will talk about in the next episode, as well as penetrant genes, have, reported to, have been reported to lead to about 20% of ASD cases. However, another theory regarding the factors of ASD, so another theory talking about the etiology, what factors lead to ASD, that is currently under study is MIA, or maternal immune activation. So, MIA occurs when the cytokines and immune alterations are transmitted to the fetus, uh, this adversely affects the phenotypes. So phenotypes are basically the genetic things that can be seen in a person uh, in the central nervous system. So uh, we, I looked for an example of this. And in an experiment done on mouse pumps about MIA, it was found that pup, male pups, male mouse pups, that were exposed to MIA through an injection of a mimic poly-IC, which is an immune dissimilant. So people, scientists will use poly-IC as kind of like a simulation of a disease, a virus. Uh, so this was kind of injected into... Uh, pregnant pups when they, before they had the male pups that were first then tested for MIA. So when this uh, mimic was inserted, uh, which is MIA, it showed decreased sociability in the, in the, pre, uh, in the fetuses that were now then born. You know what I mean? So they, these fetuses then showed decreased sociability as well as increased repetitive baby behavior in adulthood, which is what we talked about earlier as a symptom of ASD. Both of these patterns are obviously symptoms of ASD, which can convey a possible correlation between MIA and autism. Uh, as noted by the name, ASD exists on a spectrum, so meaning certain factors and nuances can lead to a noticeable difference in the magnitude of symptoms, especially factors that com come into play after birth. Uh, if you know anybody with autism, uh, you might, or if you know, especially if you know multiple people with autism, you might see that their, their severity of their symptoms are quite different. And this is because they're exposed to different factors in their life, to different genetic 
factors, so different social factors, different environmental factors, all that comes into play uh, when talking about the severity of their autism. Uh, for example, the burden of organic pollutants, so does pollution in the organic world, can lead to a greater severity of ASD symptoms. Additionally, a decreased level of neurotrophic factors, which supports the differentiation of mature neurons, are leading neonatal risk for autism. So that was basically what I found kind of regarding a broad overview of autism. Uh, my sister will then probably be talking about uh, Asperger's and the effects of that and how that comes into play in the autism realm. So please let me know if you have any questions about this, and I will be recording another episode about uh, the genetic uh, molecular genetics behind autism next. Uh, thank you for listening, and have a great day. Until recently, Asperger's syndrome was characterized as a form of autism with milder symptoms, particularly regarding social challenges without any language or intellectual impairments. Asperger's syndrome was first identified in children by German pediatrician Hans Asperger, who worked during the same period as Leo Connor. Asperger observed children behaving like little professors when speaking, as if they were lecturing about a topic they were highly interested in. The children were socially unaware and had difficulty communicating non-verbally, leading to the identification of Asperger's syndrome. However, in 2013, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-5, published by the American Psychiatric Association, outlined specifically the incorporation of Asperger's syndrome into the definition of ASD, eliminating Asperger's syndrome as a diagnosis for autistic people. DSM is the manual used by clinicians and researchers to diagnose and classify mental disorders. The previous fourth edition of the DSM, published in 1994, identified the diagnostic criteria for Asperger's syndrome as an expression of a pervasive mental developmental disorder, or PDD. With additional research after the publication of DSM-IV, clinicians now believe that at the time, Asperger's and other disorders under the larger the larger autism umbrella were not consistently applied across different clinics and treatment centers. In doing so, the elimination of Asperger's syndrome as a diagnosis separate from autism led to an evolving conceptualization of disorders un identified under ASD. The removal of Asperger's syndrome as a diagnosis does not erase those that experience the symptoms associated with that disorder. The value of a separate diagnosis of Asperger's from ASD was questioned. Researchers used this opportunity to explore the complexities of ASD, and the, def the, defin the removal of Asperger's syndrome as a diagnosis does not erase those that experience the symptoms associated with the disorder. The value of a separate diagnosis of Asperger's from ASD was questioned. Researchers used this opportunity to explore the complexities of ASD and the definition of the autism spectrum by, by identifying that the diagnosis of ASD, Asperger's syndrome, and PDD were applied irregularly to, to diagnose individuals, and recognizing those deficiencies, the use of the umbrella term ASD has helped researchers focused on clinical specifiers rather than particular behaviors. Furthermore, these irregular applications are not meaningful within research because the same person may be diagnosed differently by different professionals. 
Though the DSM-5 has focused only on the use of ASD as a diagnosis for autistic people, the use of Asperger's syndrome has been commonly used since the early 1980s. The term is now replaced with autism spectrum disorder level 1, without any accompanying intellectual or language impairment, showing that ASD is multidimensional. Many of those who were diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome before 2013 continue to identify with the diagnosis. Clinical psychologist Tony Atwood believes that the elimination of Asperger's syndrome as a, mental, as a medical diagnosis may negatively impact the self-concept of, of adults who identify with and have benefited from the term, such as through support groups, literature, and experiences. He contends that his experience shows that adults with Asperger's and their families want to con continue to use the term. There is still a knowledge gap persisting between society's knowledge and the expectation of a person with ASD and its realities. In his Complete Guide to Asperger's Syndrome, Atwood describes mostly a neutral understanding in the media regard regarding Asperger's syndrome, a belief that Asperger's is a milder, less severe disability than co compared to autism. There is also a reluctance from adults to contemplate a diagnostic assessment for autism and that ASD is associated with high support and needs. There is a need for society to reflect the multidimensional characteristics of autism described in the DSM-5. The acceptance of ASD and the autism spectrum shows that there is no one form of ASD, allowing researchers and clinicians to account for the variations in symptoms and behaviors from person to person. The new criteria for the diagnosis of ASD outlined in the DSM-5 are character into two spheres, restrictive and repetitive behaviors and interests, and social de deficits and communication deficits. Furthermore, there is an emphasis on the severity of the impairments, which was not included in the previous edition of the DSM. These changes reflect the changing landscape of autism-related research and the importance of future research to further enhance researchers and the public's understanding of the complexities of ASD.